Cool. Well, listen, um, tonight, tonight we're starting a new teaching series called Money Matters. Okay, if you've been here a while, you know that the Lord gave us two words for this year. Those words were further, deeper. We just felt like God was saying that he wants to, to um, take Soma Church, both individually and corporately, further with him and deeper in him. And uh, it's been a word that has really rung true as Melissa spoke um, so wonderfully last week. Um, and so as I was in prayer, I asked the Lord, Lord, what's the next thing? You know, we spent the first 10 weeks or so talking about the Holy Spirit. And in prayer, I was asking the Lord, Lord, what is the next thing that I need to teach on that will help people go further and deeper? And I was surprised and somewhat disappointed when the Lord said, money. I was like, are you kidding me? Because I, I, don't, I don't really ever talk about money. I mean, every now and then, it, you know, we talk about something that relates to money or tithing or something like that. But I've never made it a, a point, and we've always done fine. In fact, I, let me say this. I'll, I'll say this to you. I have prided myself, and maybe this is why the Lord is doing it. Gosh, now that I think about it. <laughs> now that I think about it. I've, I've prided myself in not being one of those pastors who talks about money all the time. And we still meet budget. And we are blessed. And really that has to do with the Lord and you guys, whether I teach or not teach. You know, that's, that's your hearts that are great. But I did. I felt like the Lord said, money. Money is the next thing that you need to talk about in order for people to go further and deeper. And so this series might be specifically for you or the all of you. I know all of us will be transformed one way or the other and he will take us further deeper. Cool? Let's start with a scripture, Psalm 92. Go ahead and turn there. I want you to turn there. I want you to mark it in your Bible. This, this sermon is, uh, this, this, what am I trying to say? The scripture is for this sermon, but it's also going to carry us through this series, okay? So Psalm 92, verse 13. If you have a physical Bible, I encourage you to turn it. I want you to circle it and write smiley faces, whatever it is that helps you remember it beside this. Okay, and let me read it for you. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Let me read it one more time. Of course, it's up on the screen. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of the Lord. And I also want to go ahead and give you my sermon in a sentence tonight. And my sermon in a sentence is actually a question. Here's my question for you tonight. Are you flourishing in the place you are planted Are you flourishing in the place where you are planted? In God's sovereign grace and in his goodness and with love, he has placed all of us upon this earth, okay? This massive planet. And of all the places he could have planted you, (laughs) he planted you in East Texas, whether you like it or not. (laughs) Some of you are like, I don't know. And of all the churches in East Texas, and God knows there's a lot of them, (laughs) he has placed you at Soma Church, whether you like it or not. And hopefully you like it. (laughs) But, But let me ask you, are you flourishing in the place where God has planted you? You know, that word flourishing in the original language means to bud it means to bloom it means to sprout 
It means to grow, okay? It's a horticultural term. That's why it says planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish. But the thing is, is that word also can be used to mean to break forth or to burst out. It speaks of something that's not just alive, but something that is, that is thriving, something that's busting at the seams. So real quick, just consider your life. Like take quick inventory assessment on your life. Are you thriving? And listen to me, I'm not talking about financially. Please hear what I'm saying. If you know me, you know I'm not talking about that because I never talk about that. Flourishing in your finances can give you a false sense of success. How many of you know that? Just like not flourishing in your finance, finances, which probably describes most of us in this room, will give you a false sense of failure. You guys know what I mean? How many of you have ever felt like a failure because you don't make enough money or whatever? Listen, it's just, that's not... I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about your life in its entirety. Are you breaking forth with a passion for God? Are you breaking forth with a desire to obey him? Are you bursting at the seams with with joy in every situation that you're going through, every situation that's happening in your life? Do you possess a confident expectation of good things to come in your life. We call that hope, <laughs> right? Remember what the prophet Jeremiah heard from God? I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to flourish you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Most of the people that I talk to can't get past the guilt and the shame and the regret that they've that they feel for past failures or the confusion and the chaos of their current situation, much less to break forth in hope and what the future holds. And so I just, I really believe that, I believe that the Lord wants to show us something, teach us something that will help us break forth and flourish. And part of the equation, part of, not the full equation, but part of the equation is dealing with our mindset about money and having our mindsets about money align with the word of God. It's critical. I've been earning money since I was around 10 years old. My first job was mucking horse stalls. Mucking means cleaning. I got $3 a stall for cleaning horse stalls. It's a pretty crappy job. (laughs) And then I got strong enough to where I could mow yards and do lawn work. You guys know what I'm talking about? Every teenage boy and girl maybe should go out and mow some yards and make some cash, okay? But then when I turned 16, I was old enough to receive that abundantly generous minimum wage that the government was offering, you know? Um, And so I got a job at Burger King and I worked there for two years. In fact, that's where Melissa and I Uh, That's where I was working when Melissa and I got married. And uh, she loved seeing me in my Burger King uniform. (laughs) She did. You know, a funny story on that. Whenever I started working there, they didn't have um, um, the pants, the uniform pants that fit me. And so they dug in the box and all they had was a pair of women's maternity pants. (laughs) And so I put those things on. I'm like, you know, 
And uh, I love those pants. <laughs> I did. Even, even when they found some pants, ordered some pants for me, I had them, but I also kept those maternity pants, didn't I? And I wore those things like, yes, these are comfy. You pregnant women are onto something. I'm telling you. <laughs> so then, so I worked there two years, and then I worked, then I got a job at the Ramada Inn, okay? Uh, I think now it's the Holiday Inn Express. It was the Ramada, and halfway um, the time I was working there, it turned into a Sheridan. I think now it's the, the um, Holiday Inn, but it was the Ramada Inn, and I worked there for two years. And uh, my claim to fame at the Ramada Inn is that I served room service to MC Hammer's mom. <laughs> It's true. How many of you remember when MC Hammer came to town? You remember that? Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. You know, you're picking up the hammer, you know? So anyway, that was my claim. I served room service to his mom, and I got to meet Reba McIntyre and Little Texas, all kinds of people. Anyway, so I've always worked, you guys, since I can really remember. And I've always, I've always been proud um, to earn money, proud of the money that I've earned, and, uh, and serious about what I spend it on. Well, when Melissa and I got together, and, and shortly after that, actually, I became a believer, and Melissa told me, yeah, you, you're supposed to tithe. Like, what? You know? And I just, I never questioned her on that. She explained to me uh, the basic principle, because I'd never heard of tithing. She basically explained the basic principle. God gave you the ability to work, boy, and earn money. Oh, okay, that's true. He commands us to give 10% back to him as a way to worship him. He allows us to live off of the other 90%. And he tells us to manage our money wisely so that we will be in a position to bless and help others in time of need. And the fifth part of the principle is, is if you live like this, if you live like this, you will be blessed. You will flourish. Well, that made a lot of sense to me. It makes sense. And so I started tithing. And when we got married, we tithed. We always tithe. And guess what? We have always flourished. And I'm not saying that we've always had a lot of money. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that our lives have always been filled, filled with joy and with peace and with hope for the future. Always. There was one season, the one season in our life when Melissa and I did not flourish. In fact, we were thrashed by the enemy. I mean, our lives were literally falling apart. It was 1996, basically that whole year. We had lost sight of the Lord's purpose in our lives. We weren't going to church, weren't a part of a church. We weren't serving in a church. We certainly weren't tithing in the church. And both of us, and in our own ways, were living in sin. And the enemy was able to come in and meddle with our marriage. You know what I mean? How he just meddles. And we almost divorced. And even our stuff, it was like all of our stuff was being devoured. We spent $10,000 that year on car repairs. It's like, that, that ain't even possible? Some of you are like, it's possible. Trust me, it's possible. <laughs> $10,000 in car repair. So listen, I have seen firsthand the Malachi 3 promise. 
I want you to turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. And when you get there, let's start at verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. You can take that down. That's not part of it. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then... I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground. Nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. Because, you guys can look up at me, because this is a, this is a promise connected with, the, with an old covenant practice, there are a lot of people that believe that we don't have to tithe anymore, that we, that's not something that we have to tithe to do, that, that under the new covenant we can just give um, freely from our heart. And there's a little truth to that. There's a little truth to that, and we're going to talk about that in another week, okay? But there's, there's people that believe that. And then there are also those that would say um, that, that you, don't, you don't have to tithe, and in fact, pastors and preachers and evangelists and those people use Malachi 3 to manipulate people into giving so that they themselves can get rich. And we've seen those kinds of things, and it's very unfortunate. But can, will you allow me to let God's word address these two issues really quick? Would that be okay with you? First of all, whenever you look at Malachi chapter 3, it begins by pointing ahead to the coming of Messiah. Okay, and not just the first coming when Jesus came as a baby and the, you know, also the second coming. It's called a dual reference when the same scripture in the same area he's talking about two different things, his first coming and his second coming, okay? And so the entire, the whole context of chapter three is what God will do in the future. If you, you can read it on your own, Malachi chapter three, verses one through four. The whole context is what God is going to do in the future, okay? So not only is this relevant for the past, it was also relevant for the future, okay? And another thing is this, is God dealt with the priests. There were ministry leaders that they called priests and the priesthood in those days who were doing the same thing that certain ministry leaders today, pastors, evangelists do. They were being shady with the money. But if you look at verse three, he says that God will, he will purify the sons of Levi, which is a reference to the priesthood. He will purify the sons of Levi that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. And in verse four, it says, offerings pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. So God promises to deal with those who are misusing people's tithes and offerings and that he would purify their hearts so that they would come into alignment with God's design for money matters, okay? So I'm gonna deal with the priest. And look what he says in verse five, if you're there. I'm going to deal with the priest. Don't worry about that. Verse five, it says, then after I deal with the priest, I'm going to draw near to you or I'm going to turn my attention to you for judgment. Verse seven, he goes on to say, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. 
See, the people were pretty upset at the priesthood, and so they became disenfranchised with the system. They, be, they became disillusioned even in their faith, and they began to focus in on their own lives. You, go, you guys know what I'm talking about? You know how easy it is for us to focus in our own life? They began to focus in on their own lives, and they really started making up their own rules about what is acceptable and what is pleasing to the Lord. That's why the Lord says, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. And then when you read on in verse 8, you see, you realize that the people had stopped giving to the temple. In verse 8, he says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed God? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now let me pause and just say that the tithe provided the means for helping the poor. The tithe also provided the things necessary to conduct worship in the temple. And then the tithe provided for the priesthood so that they could focus on leading worship for the people and not have to work their own fields or plow their own ground, but they could focus on their work in the temple. Okay, But can I stop and ask you a question? Yeah, listen, did God really need that money? I mean, let's think about this. Did he really need 10% of the farmer's grain? Did he really need 10% of the shepherd's flock or 10% of the vine grower's grapes? (laughs) I mean, isn't God infamous for pulling stuff out of nowhere? Isn't like that his MO? Isn't that like what he does? Remember out in, uh, in, when Israel was out in the desert, the manna was just like on the ground every morning. There's food. Remember the time the, the quail just flew in and it's like, well, there's, they landed here. I guess we can eat them. You guys, water from the rock. Are these things ringing a bell? What about in 1 Kings 17 when the raven brought not only bread, like where did he get bread? The raven market? The bread and he brought meat to Elijah. So really, will a man rob God? It's a ridiculous concept. But it's really similar to what Jesus said to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 26, it says, why are you persecuting me? You guys remember Paul was putting God's people in prison for serving Jesus. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And here in Malachi chapter 3, God says, will a man rob God? Of course not. God says, yet you are robbing me. How? 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 Let me tell you. The opportunity for his people to flourish. Let me be clear. God didn't need anything from man. He didn't need people to support his kingdom. Okay? God didn't invent tithes and offerings for his benefit. He created tithes and offerings for our benefit. Can you track with that tonight? Is that okay? Remember Jesus, well, before I even say that, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Back then, the storehouse would have been the temple. Okay, where they were spiritually fed, and if they were poor and they needed, they could even be physically fed. Okay, the storehouse for us today would be the local church, the place where we were spiritually 
fed. And at times, like tonight, <laughs> we will be physically fed, right? Okay, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. In other words, so that every need will be met down to the least of these, to the poorest of purpose. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 25, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you have done for me. There's that, there's that thing again. You see that? And if you remember, Jesus said, those who were on his right and helped the needy were blessed. Those on his left who didn't help the needy were cursed. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. But that's not all he said. Also so that I will pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. That's some strong imagery right there. Until it overflows. But if you don't bring the whole tithe, God says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. Again, there that is again. I'm going to say it this way, and it's going to be on the screen. You can write this down. We rob God of the opportunity to bless us in our giving and to bless others through our giving. Let me say that again. You write it down. We rob God of the opportunity to bless us in our giving and to bless others through our giving. Now remember, God doesn't need us to bless others. He can do that without us. But there are times when he wants to use us to bless others. And when we fail to do our part, that person is not blessed through us. And at the very same time, we're robbing, our, we're robbing God of an opportunity to bless us. And this is the one time, you guys, this is the one time in Scripture says, gives us permission to test him. <laughs> the one time. It's like God saying, please test me. <laughs> Put me to the test. Try me in this. You'll see. I promise I'll come through. You are going to flourish. <laughs> Listen to me. God's passion is to see his people prosper. Now, I'm not talking about prosperity. That's not the gospel I'm preaching tonight. You guys do know me well enough to know that's not what I'm talking about. Where you give so that you can get. That's not, that, no, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm talking about flourishing. I'm talking about to break forth with joy and with peace and with hope. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life to the full, that they would have a life that is flourishing. But in that same verse, he tells us that the thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I believe that he comes to steal our joy. Take note. The enemy comes to steal your joy, to kill your peace. That way he may destroy your hope. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, stay alert, watch, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What did God say in Malachi 3? I will rebuke the devourer on your behalf so that it will not destroy the fruit of the ground. Are you guys seeing this? Psalm 92, 13, again, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts 
in the courts of our God. You plant yourself in the house of the Lord and you will flourish in his courts. (laughs) You will flourish under his kingship. You will be protected in his courts. So life may get tough, may get really tough, but it won't rob your joy. Life may get really chaotic, crazy, but you're going to have peace. Today might be hard, but you possess a hope for tomorrow, a hope for the future. That this isn't going to last forever, (laughs) right? And rather than diving deep down into despair and depression, we can rise above the circumstance. We can see the valley from the view of the eagle because we rise up on wings as eagles and soar above the valley. Are we actually in it? Yeah. But my perspective is not from being in it. My perspective is that from riding on the wings of the eagle. That's the flourishing that I'm talking about. So let me ask you, is is Malachi 3 really about my money? Or is it about my heart? God gave us permission to put him to the test, but could it be that God is actually putting us to the test? I mean, what's really going on in the heart, in the head, in the heart? If I, if I plant myself in the house of the Lord, will Will I really flourish? Will God really finish the good work that he began in me? Will God really lead me to green pastures and beside still waters? Will God really walk through the valley of the shadow of death with me? You hear what I'm saying? What what goes on in our hearts that keeps us from, just kind of keeps us here. Will God really supply all my needs according to his riches and glory? Nineteen ninety six was a was a year of testing for Melissa and I. Our our marriage was a mess. I told you that. And listen, I'm talking no hope of recovery. Are you you with me? No hope of recovery. Many couples never recover from some of the things that she and I walked through. Other couples, it might take them five to 10 years to recover from some of the things we walked through. I have counseled people for 10 plus years that are still dealing with things 20 years ago. I guess that math doesn't add up, but you know what I'm saying. No hope. No hope of recovery. And then you take our finances. Our finances were completely frayed. You know what I mean? They were just frazzled. $10,000 $10,000 on a credit card. <laughs> on a credit card. In, in 96, that's really bad, you know. For a car repairs. In one year, I blew an engine in my favorite truck. Twice. Twice in one year, people. How does that happen? I love this truck. I love this truck. I called it the White Stallion. I love that it. it's a four-wheel drive Mazda pickup truck. I can just... 
I always said, I will drive this truck until the wheels fall off. <laughs> Should have never said that. <laughs> One day I was backing out of the driveway to go to work and literally my front left wheel fell off. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. The devourer. And it was not a cheap fix. I'm telling you. <laughs> Melissa and I, listen, Melissa and I both knew that this is not what we wanted for our lives. Debt? Divorce? What? More importantly, we knew that this wasn't what God wanted for our lives, but we didn't know what to do. But God did, (laughs) right? Remember what Malachi 3 verse 5 says? You remember when we read that? It says, then I will draw near to you for judgment because you've turned aside from my statues. And that's exactly what we had done. We had turned aside from many statues. You've turned aside from my statues. You've not kept them. But remember what he said, the very next thing he said, return to me. Return to me and I will return to you. That was the promise. So we put God to the test. We both got on our faces before God and we repented. We found a church got plugged in, began serving faithfully. We began tithing faithfully. And then we began immediately to make changes in our finances, our personal finances, so that we could be freed up to bless others. We knew better. And you know what happened? God held up to his end of the bargain. Remember what it said in Malachi 3, verse 11. He says, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground so your wheels won't fall off. (laughs) My interpretation. There's a place in Jude chapter 2 that says, then I will restore to you the years that the locust swarm devoured. You guys hearing these words? I use this all the time to encourage people because it's God's heart. I want to restore back to you the years that the locust swarm has devoured, as did the young locust, the other locust, the ravaging locust, the great army of mine that I sent among you. A lot of theologians have a hard time explaining that. I don't know that God sent the locust, but he certainly did not rebuke them. You guys understand what I'm saying? And that's what we began to experience. That's what God did. He began to rebuke the devourer. And he began to restore back what the locusts had stolen in our lives. God restored our marriage within months. It was a miracle, wasn't it? Within months. I thought it would take years, 10 years. Or if ever, within months, God had restored our marriage. And listen to me, God restored our finances within a few months of getting all these things straight. One day we got a check in the mail. (laughs) I love checks in the mail. Random check in the mail from... My great step, great, 
grandmother who was apparently, I had no idea, so wealthy that if she didn't get rid of some of her money, the government was going to get it. You guys know that? You understand that? And so she sent all of her children, all of her grandchildren, and all of her great-grandchildren some money. Open the check up. Guess how much that was? $10,000. So Melissa and I headed to the mall, baby. We bought us some Gap jeans. We got us some shoes. No, that's not what we did. We paid off the credit card. And we started at zero. We started fresh. Clean slate. God did that. We planted ourselves in God. And we began to flourish again. If you look at the last of that little section of scripture, verse 12, look what it says. All the nations will call you blessed. For you shall be a delightful land. I actually have quite a bit more to say about this. But I'm going to save it for next week. You, you've got to be here next week because God's going to blow your mind about being a delightful land. Land. Okay, so I'm going to start short, stop short tonight. And I want to ask you a question. Would you say that your life is a delightful land? Would you say that your life is a delightful land? If not, what is the fruit that is being devoured? What is the fruit that's being devoured in your life? You may have to stop and think about it, or you may be at the tip of your tongue, at the forefront of your mind. What is the locust swarm devoured that you need God to restore? Let's stand. Can we answer those two questions? What is the fruit that is being devoured in your life? What has the locust swarm devoured that you need God to restore? Look at me. Let me say it this way. Everybody look up at me. Is there an area in your life where you are not trusting the Lord? Maybe it is your finances. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Hey, listen, maybe you have become disenfranchised with the system, disillusioned in your faith, just like the the people back then, and you've begun to focus in on your own life. Because we do do that. My finances, my finances. This is my marriage. This is my husband. This is my wife. These are my kids. My kids. Don't tell me about my kids. Those are my kids. And begin inventing your own rules on how to please the Lord, how to walk in his ways, how to be acceptable, your actions before him, and turned away from his statutes. Psalm 92, 13. Memorize it. Planted in the house of the Lord, you will flourish in the courts of the Lord. Are you flourishing in the place you are planted? Are you flourishing in the place you are planted? And if your answer is no, then let me ask you one more question tonight. Would you like to? If so, follow those three steps that Melissa and I followed. Repent. 
Everyone say, repent. And then plant yourself. Everyone say, plant yourself. And that looks like many things, not just tithing. But plant yourself in the house of the Lord. And the third thing is, you're going to have to make some changes. You're going to have to make some changes in your life. Maybe some changes in your finances. Maybe some changes in your marriage. Maybe some changes in your parenting. Here's what I want to do. I want us to read something together. And it is a greater portion of um, Joel chapter 2. It's going to be on the screen. Can we turn those lights down so they can see that a little bit better? So I can see it better. Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 21. Let's read this aloud together. And let's don't read it like you haven't eaten in four days. Okay? Because you know you have. Besides, we're about to eat. Let's get everything we got. We'll go get carb up on our spaghetti, okay? Joel chapter 2. Let's read this aloud. Don't be afraid, my people. Be glad now and rejoice. For the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, you animals of the field. For the wilderness pastures will soon be green. The trees will again be filled with fruit. Fig trees and grapevines will be loaded down once more. Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God. For the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. Once more, the autumn rains will come as well as the rains of spring. The threshing floor will again be piled high with grain, and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts, the hopping locusts, the stripping locusts, and the cutting locusts. It was I who sent this great destroying army against you. Once again, you will have all the food you want, and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. Then you will know that I am among my people Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other Never again will my people be disgraced. Let's close our eyes.